Welcome to Squawk 5353, the Private Pilot Podcast, Episode 6. I'm your host, Izzy Simon, a private pilot sharing my tips and tricks to make the skies a safer place. In today's episode, we'll be discussing analog versus glass cockpit and the transition between them. Stay tuned for all this and more in Squawk 5353. Before we get into the comparisons, it's important to understand what a glass cockpit really is. A glass cockpit is defined as having at least two screens that replace the standard six-pack of flight instruments. The first screen in front of the pilot is the primary flight display, which replaces the flight instruments. The second screen to the right is a multifunction display, or MFD. While the MFD may look like the PFD's identical twin, it has its own personality and functions, such as a moving map displays, and depending on how many options the aircraft owner purchased, engine instruments, traffic, weather, and even instrument charts. The MFD can be considered a backup and an additional information source to the PFD. With the proper options, the weather information includes temporary flight restrictions, or TFRs, depicted on the moving map. These TFRs can pop up as soon as they go into the system, even those that appear while in flight after you receive your weather briefing from flight surface. Reading the instruments in a glass cockpit is sometimes a little different. As you turn on the master switch, the PFD will light up immediately. The primary flight display is designed to withstand the electrical power fluctuations during start and shutdown. The first thing you'll recognize on the PFD is the attitude indicator. The major difference, however, is that the sky and the ground depictions are now drawn across the entire screen, not just the small two inches you're accustomed to in an analog gauge. The airspeed and altitude now have a tape strip, which runs from the top of the screen to the bottom, with the current airspeed in the middle, with the current airspeed or altitude in a box number in the middle. Both of these flight instruments have trend indicators, meaning that there is a pink line, or sometimes a pointed arrow, which shows how much you are ascending or descending for your altimeter, or how much your airspeed is increasing or decreasing for your airspeed indicator. In the bottom and center of your PFD, you'll find a directional gyro, now with an HSI. It's typically pretty easy to pick up on how to use the PFD. The MFD takes much more time to explore, but quickly becomes second nature. Once pilots are exposed to the autopilot, the GPS then becomes the most difficult item in the glass cockpit to master. Before transitioning from a steam gauge airplane to a glass cockpit, it's important to understand their differences. Each cockpit comes with its own sets of pros and cons. Deciding whether to fly steam gauges or glass cockpit is a difficult decision when beginning your flight training and continuing on your further ratings. In an article from AOPA titled Glass or Steam, two instructors debate on which configuration is best suited for primary training. Bud Davison, a certified CFI and CFII, reminds pilots that after receiving their private pilot rating, they may want to buy or rent an airplane. These airplanes may be from an older generation, and if you trained with a glass cockpit, you will not be able to fly them effectively. He then goes on to state that transitioning from steam gauges to a glass cockpit is much easier than doing it the other way around. In a glass cockpit, information is presented to you in a readily available format. In steam gauges, however, the information has to be found by the pilot. 
being able to interpret all of the needles and dials in the airplane is something that takes time to learn. A major difference between a traditional six-pack and a glass panel is their characteristics in an electrical failure. During an electrical failure in an analog cockpit, you'd lose the radio, the nav lights, and all the avionics. If you were to be flying in a glass cockpit and the electronics were to fail, nothing would work. Typically, glass cockpits will have an analog partial panel. This means that they'll have an altimeter and an airspeed indicator. Bud Davison concludes his argument saying that although both do the job well, there are definitely more airplanes out there with steam gauges than glass cockpits. Quote, transitioning from glass to steam takes a bit longer to feel comfortable. Of course, going from steam to glass can take even longer for some folks. The other side of the article comes from Dave Hirschman, another CFI and CFII. He begins his claim strong, saying that conquering the turn and slip indicator is about as useless as knowing how to hand crake an automobile engine. He then goes on to say that student pilots should seek out the kind of training that advances their aviation goals, and that they should do what excites them. If you want to fly for airlines, the military, or fly corporate jets, it makes perfect sense to seek out trainers with relevant technology, that meaning glass cockpits. Glass cockpits are shown to be more reliable and offer better situational awareness. For student pilots training VFR, our eyes should be outside for the majority of the time. Glass cockpits do seem much more enticing than analog dials, but student pilots training in both will find their eyes tending to be more inside than outside. Dave Hirschman concludes his article by looking at the cost of a glass cockpit. Many times we associate a glass cockpit with being incredibly expensive. However, he says that, quote, the FAA are allowing low-cost, highly reliable avionics into existing certified aircraft without technical standard order. Now that we understand the differences between an analog cockpit and a glass cockpit, we can move on and discuss the transition from an analog cockpit to a glass cockpit. But before we get to that topic, I'd like to give you an update on my flight training. I've continued my IFR training mainly in a Redbird full motion simulator. The weather has continued to remain with low ceilings and icing conditions. This has prevented me from flying. Despite this, I've continued my training and I'm set to take my first stage check next week. Thankfully, the skies have begun to clear, allowing me to get back into the air. IFR training has been incredibly exciting and has helped me become a much better pilot. I personally did all my private pilot training in a steam gauge cockpit. This aircraft was cheaper to rent and after my first few lessons in it, I became attached. Now that I've begun my instrument training, I have moved over to a glass cockpit. The switch for me was a very short transition. As a younger, low time pilot, I'm not too set in my ways. Because of this, transitioning to a glass cockpit was easy. Reading the information and navigating about the digital screens was no problem for me. I know many older pilots struggle in navigating the complex menus of the G1000 or similar glass cockpit displays. There is something to be said about the nostalgia that flying steam gauges creates. In an article from planeandpilotmag.com, in an article from planeandpilotmag.com, Bridget Dormeyer writes an article for switching to glass. In this article, she offers some tips to make flying the glass cockpit much easier. The common aviation saying, aviate, navigate, communicate, comes into effect here. 
Her first tip is to fly the airplane. When all else fails, fly it until the last piece stops moving. If the electronics misbehave, let them do whatever they want for a while and just concentrate on flying the airplane. Especially for student pilots getting their private pilot's license, it's important to learn how to fly the airplane by looking outside. Although tempting to look inside, one must have discipline and keep your eyes outside for the majority of the time. Her second tip is to avoid distractions. A fundamental glass cockpit skill is division of attention. The pilot must still aviate, navigate, and communicate, as I mentioned before, in that order. She then recommends using a three-second switching technique to make sure that you're maintaining flying and programming well. She writes that one should program for three seconds, then check the flight instruments for three seconds, then program for another three seconds. Making sure that you're switching between these can be a matter of life and death, especially when flying in actual IMC conditions. Programming can take up a majority of one's focus, so it's crucial that you still maintain your altitude and desired course. Glass cockpits are designed with the user in mind. Make sure that you know your knobs. All knobs will have a label around the knob. Make sure you read it before twisting it. Also, look at what the button states before pressing the button. Ask yourself, is this the correct button or knob? If it is, then try it. If you did twist the wrong knob, just twist it back to its original position, then find the correct knob. The clear button is always your friend. If you accidentally enter the wrong airport identifier code, or your Garmin G1000 or GNS430 is not doing what you want it to do, then the clear button is a great way to restart this process. Her fourth tip is to use the autopilot when programming. The autopilot should not be the sole aviator of your airplane. It does, however, alleviate some of the pressures associated with programming and flying the airplane. Make sure that when you're programming in the glass cockpit, go slow. Make deliberate actions regarding the electronics, knowing that only the results count. Just like the autopilot, another way to alleviate pressure is to make checklists. Just like autopilot, another way to alleviate pressure is to make checklists. If you can never remember a certain procedure, write it down in a checklist format. We often use checklists to remind ourselves of important tasks while flying, so why not one for avionics? If your mind goes blank while flying, you can grab the checklist, flip through it to the appropriate section, and remind yourself how to tell the glass cockpit what you want it to do. In my research, I found that many pilots who use an avionics checklist said that it added only on average about 15 seconds to the programming task but it eliminated all failed attempts to perform that task. As in all things, the best way to get better at something is to practice. While renting a glass cockpit airplane can be expensive, there are many other alternatives. Flying in a Redbird simulator, or one like it, is a great way to practice with a low cost. These types of simulators are often difficult to come by, so purchasing a home simulator is often in your best interest. Although the hours spent in your home simulator do not count towards any rating, it is still a great and cheap way to practice after a small initial investment. I typically use X-Plane 11, but Microsoft Flight Simulator 2020 is on the leading edge of realism and graphic design. One can spend numerous hours in the simulator with the cost being a total of zero. This way, when you make your transition into a real glass cockpit airplane, it takes you less time to become accustomed 
to all the bells and whistles associated with a glass cockpit. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353. A link to all the resources used in today's show can be found in the show notes. If you haven't already checked out last week's episode on navigating uncontrolled airspace, make sure to check it out. Also, if you haven't already, consider subscribing to my Patreon. Becoming a member of my Patreon gives you access to exclusive materials. This show takes a lot of time to write, record, and edit each week, so it would mean the world to me if you financially supported this show. Again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353, and let's make the skies a safer place. Thank you.